from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Someday, maybe people will talk about how NFTs destroyed the art market in order to save it. If so, I'll be delighted. This almost seems like a little bit of an argument for anarchy, but maybe it's really a resetting of, of something that's been spoiled? Well, it won't be the first time I've been accused of being an anarchist, but I think a little bit of anarchy is healthy sometimes. You're essentially a guinea pig, you know, um, but that's how you make a space better. You know, this is their art gallery. So in a sense, we could think of physical art objects as kind of being physical tokens in the same way that non-fungible tokens or NFTs are intangible uh, representations of, of authenticity. In other words, they just kind of get rid of the physical part and allow you to transact purely in the entry on the catalog reasoning, purely in the concept of ownership. So that is something different than most of us think about art. I'm Sarah Fenske. NFTs have taken the art world by storm, and St. Louis is part of the digital rush. These non-fungible tokens are stored on the blockchain, and they've become a hot commodity. Art collectors are snapping them up. Even businesses are getting in on NFTs. Anheuser-Busch is selling them. So is Major League Baseball. Local artists see opportunity. Myrina Renaissance is a St. Louis photographer who decided to learn about NFTs. Her current show at the Dark Room in Grand Center includes both art on the walls and an NFT component on the blockchain. Myrina told our producer Jane Mather-Glass that she's also holding workshops to teach other artists how to utilize this digital commodity. So I realized they could benefit me when, you know, there was this, like, opportunity for another stream of, of income as well as the opportunity to reach people beyond my, you know, current region, right, in St. Louis. Like, I have people that I talk to in different countries right now because of NFTs and that I've grown, you know, great relationships with, collaborations with, and partnerships with. Uh, that is Myrina Renaissance. Her show at the Dark Room runs through May 7th and includes NFT sales. Now, another artist getting in on the trend is the St. Louis musician and producer Monk. He didn't know much about NFTs, but some friends and his manager convinced him to learn more about them. I was putting out these, what I like to call mini-series, called Levels, which just was um, one-minute music videos with my music added to it. And I was putting it out on Instagram and TikTok and, and YouTube. And so they were like, yo, these are perfect for NFTs. You should really look into it. You know, we've had some success. And, um, and they just didn't, they didn't leave me alone about it until I actually dove in and sure enough you know the first uh within 24 hours of me minting um my collection my levels collection somebody had already bought level one and level one token so that is the musician monk making some money off nfts so what exactly is an nft anyway and how can people buy and sell exclusive rights to digital images or files when the rest of us can just right click and save them if your head hurts i'm right there with you and so here to walk us through what nfts are is brian fry he's a professor at the university of kentucky college of law he recently wrote a terrific essay about nfts and the death of art and he joins us today to discuss it. So Brian Fry, welcome. 
Hi, great to be here. So Brian, break this down for us. What actually is an NFT? So I can give you a technical description, but then maybe also a social description might might be helpful. So technically speaking, an NFT is just an entry on the blockchain that only one person is able to transfer to someone else. In other words, if you own the NFT, what that means is that you're the only person in the whole world who can transfer that ownership to someone else. And essentially, everyone just agrees, or rather, the artists who creates a work will stipulate, and the rest of the world will either agree or, or not agree, that that NFT represents some form of ownership of the work of authorship to, to which it's connected, to which it is intended to, to represent. Now, in a lot of ways, that sounds really new, mm-hmm. but I'd like to suggest it's not really all that new at all. And in fact, it's how the art market has, has always worked, right? In the, in the actual art market where people pay like large amounts of money for works of art, what you've bought is always uh, really an entry on a catalog raisonné. Right? In other words, what you're buying when you buy a work in the art market is you're buying a representation that a particular work represents an authentic work of art created by a particular artist. And the value in the art market is in that authenticity, not in the object itself. Right. So if you buy a quote-unquote painting or sculpture, what you're really buying is an entry on a catalog raisonné, and it comes along with a, a piece of dirty cloth or a lumpy rock, but the valuable part isn't the dirty cloth or the lumpy rock, it's the entry on the catalog raisonné and the relationship between the two. So in a sense, we could think of physical art objects as kind of being physical tokens in the same way that non-fungible tokens or NFTs are intangible uh, representations of of authenticity. In other words, they just kind of get rid of the physical part and allow you to transact purely in the entry on the catalog resume, purely in the concept of ownership. So that is something different than most of us think about art. And I understand that like really like high dollar collectors are probably a lot more strategic about all this stuff. But I'm thinking if I buy a painting by Myrina Renaissance, the, the artist we heard from, I'm getting a painting that hangs on my wall that I own this physical object. I'm not doing this because I'm thinking I'm going to make money on it. Am I being stupid by thinking about art this way? No, I think that's perfectly reasonable. And what you got to understand is that, you know, you can invest in art as decoration for your home, or you can invest in art as a kind of speculative investment in in a marketplace, and and those just aren't the same thing. There's, there's nothing wrong with a, a, you know purchasing and enjoying and appreciating and and sharing art objects with other people. In fact, that's great. Right. But the reality is that that kind of investment in art is generally not a long term value proposition. What I like to say is, you know, everyone knows like you go into a a car dealership and you you buy a car. When you you walk out of the dealership, your car is instantly worth less. Right. Because finding a new buyer is going to be hard and you're not going to be able to get the full retail price of your car if you want to resell it to someone else, even an hour later. Right. Well, when you walk out of an art gallery, typically the value of what you're walking out of an art gallery with is zero because there's just no buyer for what you purchased at all. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not a valuable thing that you enjoy and that you'll take pleasure from, but it does mean that the market value is is 
is typically not going to be anything at all, unless what you're doing is buying into a speculative investment market. And for better or for worse, that, that's ultimately what the NFT market really is. It's people investing in the belief that the artists whose NFTs that they're purchasing are going to be more popular in the future than they are today. So when I hear you say that, I'm thinking about stuff like where everybody went all in on Beanie Babies or like back in, you know, hundreds of years ago when everybody was rushing to buy tulips. Like this seems kind of wildly speculative. Is that a mm-hmm. concern? Well, I would say for one thing, the, the, the tulip story is, is pretty well overblown. And in fact, it's been largely debunked by later historians that there was a lot of interest, but not in, in purchasing tulips back in the 16th century. But it, it wasn't nearly as uh, excessively speculative as we like to, it was later characterized by people making economic critiques. Um, a lot of people talk about the, the Beanie Baby craze as well. I would point to the, a, a one kind of really fundamental difference between the market for Beanie Babies and the market for NFT writ large is that Beanie Babies were sold by one company that was in control of the entire supply and defined the market for the product in question. Whereas in the NFT marketplace, you've got you know thousands and thousands of people already competing to sell a whole bunch of different kinds of products. So I you know I think in a lot of ways it's kind of a difference in kind in the sense that it's not just one company producing a product, but actually you know thousands of artists all producing different products. So it's almost like you have thousands of people competing in the same market for similar kinds of products. So it looks a lot more like a traditional art market, I mm. think, than it does like a collectibles market, like for, for Beanie Babies. Now, does that mean that it's a like a, a blue chip investment that people should be putting their life savings into? Of course not. Yeah. Right? And just like any other speculative market, it could be that the bottom falls out tomorrow. And NFTs turn out to be ultimately worth nothing at all, or at least a lot of NFTs turn out to be worth nothing at all. So you know, people who are buying into this market should know that it's extremely speculative, that it's extremely volatile, that it's extremely risky, and that there's absolutely no guarantee whatsoever that any NFT they buy is going to have any value whatsoever in the future. But as long as they're aware of what they're doing and what they're buying and why they're buying it and you know where the money's going, then there's no reason for them to feel any differently doing that than they would buying art in any other context. Hmm. Well, so as a potential investor, I got to say, I'm still a little bit skeptical of this, but there are artists who are cashing in on this, and this is actually working great for them. Um, St. Louis artist Myrina Renaissance, she said that she was careful to educate herself on the risks, but she feels like she's happy that she was an early adopter. I knew it was going to be a long-term play for me with this industry. I don't plan on, you know, leaving it anytime soon. I do have my concerns, of course, because it's a new space. There's things that happen that kind of, you know, give an adverse impact to, you know, all of the glory that also happens to NFTs. But it wasn't enough to scare me from actually doing anything within the space. Um, I recognize that, you know, when you're a part of a revolution, when you're, you know, the first the first line in um, you're the first in line in the long line of uh, people coming forward to this space, you know, you're going to be the one that experiences the mistakes, the hiccups, the cybersecurity issues. You're going to be that person to experience that you're essentially a Guinea pig, you know? Um, But that's how you make a space better. That's how you make something sustainable because you have those people who are not afraid to take the leap, to take the jump and figure out, how it works and make it better for those who are coming later on down the line.
So that, again, is my Reno Renaissance. And, you know, NFTs are a little less known as, as far as the music world. It seems like people more talk about this in terms of visual art. But St. Louis musician and producer Monk says he really sees them taking off. He actually sees them as a way to uplift smaller artists. I truly do believe that NFTs or a form of NFTs are, um, is the future of displaying our, our art, our work. And I really don't have any problem with that. I think it's actually bringing more appreciation to art and allowing everyday people to be able to grasp onto uh, pieces of art that they wouldn't have seen in the first place. You know, artists that aren't known on a big, wide scale can put their can put their art on onto you know the platforms um, apparent these NFTs, and they can be seen by anybody, right? The other respect is artists that can't get into art galleries for whatever reason, you know, this is their art gallery. This is, this is their, uh, their platform that they're able to use. So it's opening up a whole new way to appreciate art. So that is the St. Louis musician, Monk. And my guest today is Brian Fry. He's a professor at the University of Kentucky College of Law, has written a really smart essay about NFTs. Brian, these artists are still thinking of NFTs as terms of art, not in terms of commodities, the way that you've, you've made this great case that these really are just commodities. Is there a downside for artists in, I'd say, the more economic view that you take of all this? I think it's really an, an opportunity for artists because I think what in a lot of ways the emergence of the NFT market has done is to show us the underlying nature of the art market and what the kind of underlying basis for speculation in the art market always was. When it comes right down to it, when people buy, we're buying art in the conventional art market, and by that I mean art as an investment as opposed to art as as only decoration. What they were always really doing was making an investment in the uh, in the proposition or the belief that the artist who they were investing in was going to be more popular in the future than they are today. And NFTs just really underscored that, and I think made it obvious in a way that the intervention of of intervening uh, physical objects made it kind of harder to see. And so I really agree with the, the point that, that Monk was making there. I think there's a lot of opportunity here, not just for visual artists, but for musicians and, and artists really working in, in any medium, because NFTs enable access to the kinds of speculative investments that previously had only been accessible to people in the conventional art market, and also only the people that conventional art market is willing to recognize as people who were sort of in, in that world and um, the kind of people who investors or collectors in the conventional art market would invest in. So I would say anecdotally, and you know, I have a friend, Simon Indelicate. He's been a, a, an independent musician for 15 years, right? He's made a whole bunch of different albums and really struggled to generate any revenue from them. A few months ago, he created his first NFT collection and in 15 minutes, he sold NFTs worth $15,000, which is more money than he'd ever made on a previous release that he'd ever created. And even better, unlike those other releases where he had to retain copyright and limit people's access and make it hard for people to listen to the work, what he said was, I'm going to sell these NFTs. And as soon as I sell them and I get that $15,000, 
I'm going to put the entire album in the public domain so anyone can listen to it, anyone can use it, and they can do anything they want to with it. And, and, and I think that that's a really positive and heartening development. So I can get behind these artists getting in on this, and especially local artists. I love hearing about your friend who, who was strategic about this. But then I hear about like businesses getting in on this. Anheuser-Busch, they put nearly 2,000 digital designs of beer cans up for sale. They were asking for like $500 to $1,000. They sold out in an hour. They sold these tokens for Bud Light Next and earned $4.5 million in revenue. This feels kind of tawdry to me. How does this fit into what you're saying about NFTs and, and the value here when it's not artists? It just becomes kind of like pure commerce. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, art is whatever people happen to like and art is worth whatever people are willing to pay for it. And I guess a lot of people really like Budweiser and they really want to have that kind of association with with Budweiser. And, you know, if Andy Warhol can be an art factory, then I don't see why Budweiser can't be an art factory as well if it wants to invest its own resources in producing artwork on a corporate scale and and people like it and want to invest in it, then I guess more power to Budweiser there. Um, personally, not my thing, but you know, <laughs> different strokes for different folks, right? I guess so. <laughs> so this essay, I really hope people will read your essay for themselves. I really enjoyed reading it. We've got that uh, linked at stlonair.show um, if people want to read this. You talk here about, um, you know, an NFT, basically you conclude, is a token for nothing but itself. NFTs strip away all the pretense. They go full virtual. Here's your final paragraph. While I fully expect NFTs to flame out shortly, I hope they don't. And I hope they gut the art market by giving its investors what they really want, a convenient way to diversify their investments. Why bother with art you have to store and maintain when you can just use digital files? So convenient. Someday, maybe people will talk about how NFTs destroyed the art market in order to save it. If so, I'll be delighted. This almost seems like a little bit of an argument for anarchy, but maybe it's really a resetting of, of something that's been spoiled? Well, it won't be the first time I've been accused of being an anarchist, but I think a little bit of anarchy is healthy sometimes, and a little bit of being open-minded to new changes, new developments, and things that people want. I mean, I see a lot of people complaining about the NFT market or objecting to it, but I, I personally am not terribly compelled by arguments that a market shouldn't exist in theory. When I see a $40 billion market sitting right there in front of me, it says to me that there's something happening that people want, and I think it's incumbent upon us to figure out what that is and how to take advantage of it, especially if we can take advantage of it in a way that benefits creators who typically don't benefit as much as we'd like to see them benefit from the work that they do. Hmm. Well, I encourage people to read that essay, NFTs on the Death of Art. And Brian Fry, I thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing your thoughts on this. Anytime, my pleasure. And Brian is a professor at the University of Kentucky College of Law. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. This episode was produced by Jane Mather Glass with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. 
and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.